This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with Muck Delivery. So the only thing left to say is, you in? Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18 plus. Rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to Albion Analysis with me, Chris Hall, and him, Pete George. Well, we come to you after a pretty dramatic game uh, early on Saturday afternoon. Ipswich 2, Albion 2. The Baggies coming away from Port Port Monroe with a point. And Pete, to be honest, if you'd said to us before the game, would you take a point without playing the game? You'd probably have absolutely ripped ripped anybody's hand off for that. But actually, the way it transpired with Albion, whilst not having a great deal of the of the game, and I've seen your, the stats that you've put out on uh, on X to uh, this uh, this morning. By the way, if you haven't seen them, um, have a look at them. Analytics WBA Pete's put all the pertinent stats out from the game, and they show that um, Albion were. Uh, well beaten in terms of the XG, 1.9 to 0.4. Although, of course, that 0.4 for Albion doesn't include Andy Vyman's handball. Don't worry, we'll come to that. Um, and Albion completely dominated in the field tilt. Only 13% of the game, I think, according to the field tilt. Forgetting all of that, uh, I mean, taking all of that into account, Pete, I still think we were well, well worth the point because what we did do when we had uh, when we had our opportunities is we we were very threatening. We scored with our two shots on target. We should have scored another one if Vyman doesn't uh, doesn't handle the ball. I thought we were well worth uh, worth the point and. To concede the equaliser in injury time, actually, you come away from Portman Road, a very tough place to go, a place where only five, we're only the fifth team this season to take any points from there. Only one team has beaten them there, and that was Leeds United. Despite all of that, you, you come away pretty disappointed that we haven't won the game. Despite being on the back foot for much of it, despite uh, the fact that um, uh, that they could have probably won it at the end were it not for a brilliant save from Alex Palmer, I'm still I, I'm st- still this morning. We're recording on Sunday morning. I'm still this morning disappointed with a point because I thought we played a really, really, really 
great, intelligent away game. I thought it was another Carlos Corbran masterclass and he had a lot to deal with, with the various injuries that went on during the game. He's had to change his team multiple times. I thought it was yet more genius from our, from our manager. And he, he came within moments of, of three points, which are three points only one team has managed to get from Portman Road all season. Yeah, like you say, Portman Road's a really difficult place to go and only Leeds are one and that was right at the start of the season, I think. So to come away with uh, one point and feeling a bit disappointed is actually a really good performance and a really good result as well because we've got tough run of fixtures coming up. Um, I think the next the next five fixtures are all pretty tough. In fact, we've got some of the toughest uh, fixtures in the league in the next five. But after that, we've got good fixtures till the end of the season, basically. So... Um, if we can come through these these next five, six, I think if you Don can... Goodman said it on commentary, and Do- Don Goodman's not normally one to. Uh, uh, well, he he gets accused of not being pro Albion. I I know Don a little bit, and I know he actually still has an awful lot of lot of love for the club, even though people like to label him Dingle Don. But he actually said in the commentary, he said if Albion are still in the top six at the end of this run of six fixtures, including the Ipswich game which we were playing at the time, he said I a hundred percent believe they will finish in the playoffs, and I think that's fair, isn't it? Yeah, because, um, like I say, the next few are really tough. So if we can hopefully pick up a few points in them, um, I'm in no way expecting us to win all those games. Um, but if we can pick up a few points and just, yeah, keep ourselves in the top six, then the running after that is is really favourable for Albion. And you can expect us to pick, in, pick up a few points there. Well, pick up a lot of points, to be honest, and especially in the home games. That's the other thing about the, the Ipswich game and the, the draw that we got is that Albion have tended to be really poor away from home. We've spoken about that a lot. And also, Ipswich are very good at home. So for a team that's pretty far away from home, to go to a team that's very good at home and take away a point and what was almost three points is is really good. And yeah, it's only going to help our push for the playoffs come the end of the season. It was a really top-notch game plan from Carlos Corbran, wasn't it? It was very clear from, from the minute go what we were set out to do. And that was look. We knew we we knew that um, Ipswich Town were going to come, and they were going to be very attack attacking. But they were also going to be pretty open. We knew they were going they were going to throw the fullbacks forward. That they that they might leave themselves a little bit exposed at the back. And it was interesting the way he played the game, Pete, because when the lineups were announced, you thought. Okay, well, you know that's Brandon Thomas Asante at centre forward. You've got, you know, you've got um, uh, Tom Fellows, um, uh, Jed Wallace, and Andy Vyman probably. Uh, Andy Vyman uh, just in behind Brandon Thomas Asante. F- uh, Fellows one side, Wallace the other. It actually didn't transpire like that. In our, as soon as we won the ball. Thomas Asante dropped in a little bit to offer uh, to offer a ball and uh, and to offer the wall, if you like, for someone uh, for people uh, for for people to play off. Which, as it turned out, a lot of the time seemed to be okay. Yakoslu, who had a brilliant first forty-five minutes on the ball, and Tom Fellows just got on his bike and got up the field, and he was so advanced. You look at the touch map, Pete, and Tom Fellows is miles ahead of any Albion player, and. I don't know about you, but I think I think it completely caught Ipswich Town out. And Carlos Corbran, I think, well, I know had Kieran McKenna's number in in the first in the first game. I think for forty five minutes in this game, he massively had Kieran McKenna's number. And I think probably if it weren't for the injuries that we suffered, may well have had Kieran McKenna's number for the full ninety minutes because the fellows' tactic, I thought, completely. Core tips switch out, and they didn't. They just didn't know how to cope with him for the first half, did they? 
you know, that first 15 minutes, we were really on top. I mean, up until the goal, really. And I think having Thomas Asante drop it in a little bit, a little bit, um, and come a little bit deeper to try and get on the ball meant he was getting away from the centre backs a bit more. And when Thomas Asante's got two two centre backs on his back, he I think he struggles to to keep hold of the balls that are played into him. But when he's got maybe one on his back or just free space, I think he's good and he can turn and open up play. So not only did he find a bit more space by dropping deep, but also force the centre backs to follow him um, up the field a bit more. And then when you've got Tom Fellows running in behind, Ipswich already playing high fullbacks so there's space down there anyway but then the centre-backs are following Thomas Santé in as well it just opens so much space for for Tom Fellows to run in behind and he's quick anyway and we saw just how strong he is when he's got a, a big centre-back on his back and it really worked Fellows was excellent in that first half and I thought kind of on a similar point I thought Jed Wallace was excellent in the in the second half when we were all backs against the wall and we just needed an out ball I thought the way he chased after long balls and Harried for them and generally came out on top, just drawing fouls and making those runs was brilliant. And he must have covered so many miles. It just you could see how much it meant to him um, getting the what we were, well getting the three points that we were trying to. But even after we conceded the goal in the last couple of minutes, just getting that one point and all the other players. To be fair, everyone was just you saw how many of them collapsed after the final whistle. I think it really showed how much effort everyone put in. It was interesting with Jed. I was uh, I was watching watching the game at home um, with with my other with my other half uh, next to me, who's an Arsenal fan. She doesn't she doesn't necessarily she watches a bit of Albion, but you know not not loads and loads. And she just turned to me during uh, during the second half after after Jed had done one of those real barnstorming runs to get us up the field, and she just turned to me and went. He's brilliant, isn't he? <laughs> I was like, he he really is. He's he's fantastic. He 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 embodies everything that a captain should embody. And I mean, we'll come on to Daryl DK in 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 a minute, Pete. But I I thought the the statement that um that, that Jed Wallace has put out on social media as well this morning about um about how Albion are all a family and they they will rally around Daryl DK and and how. Uh, you know the only thing that matters at the moment is is supporting a friend and a and a colleague i i just thought it it just shows you everything that jed wallace is about and uh, and i think i think on and off the pitch he's such a massive leader for us and i don't, I, I don't think i don't think it always gets appreciated i think i think there was times last season when it flew under the radar when people started to misinterpret him coming out uh, in in post match press conferences and explaining defeats as as him making excuses for bad performances i didn't look as somebody who's worked in communications at that very football club believe me no player wants to come out and talk after a defeat um, the captain knows that a lot of the time it's going to be on him but a lot of the time, the captain will come out and just resort to to football cliches, really, because because they know they can see an interview out with that. Jed Wallace doesn't. He comes and he says actual things. He comes and he he explains defeats. He uh, he fronts things up, which is which is a phrase that we always we always use in the in 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 the journalism industry. And there's there's not a lot of players who front things up. And I think Jed Wallace. I th- I think over the last couple of years under under Ishmael and Bruce. We've talked a lot on this podcast about do we have enough players who take responsibility, who are brave enough? I think Jed is brave on and off the pitch, and I think he's absolutely fantastic, and I think he's utterly integral to everything we do. Yeah, we're very lucky as a club to have him as captain because on the pitch, off the pitch, it's just exactly what you'd expect of a captain. And 
like you say, it's nice to have somebody that actually says stuff in interviews because so many post-match interviews and pre-match interviews um, within football, you just hear the same cliches and people just really dancing around questions and, and not really saying much. But like you say, Jed, he comes out and he's honest and it's just refreshing to hear. But on the pitch, he's just fully committed to everything. Like I was saying, against Ipswich, he was just chasing every single ball with everything he could give. And it's just, it's brilliant to see as a fan. And it must be brilliant to play alongside as the players as well, because to have somebody that's just going to give it their all in every kind, every single situation, I think it'd be the same if we were losing 5-0 in a game. He would still be given everything. And I think that must be really motivating as a player to play alongside that. And um, yeah, brilliant captain on and off the pitch. Let's go back to Tom Fellows, Pete, um, because let's be fair, that first 45 minutes was the Tom Fellows show. And I mean, I've just, I've run the, I've run the numbers on him. Most progressive carries, um, uh, two out of three successful take-ons, highest expected goals, most shots of any Albion player, most progressive passes received. He was, for 45 minutes at least, everything in terms of our attacking play. And it was interesting. I uh, just just before uh, uh, my my process always with recording these pods is obviously I watch I watch the game in its entirety live, whether that's whether that's in the stadium or whether that's on television. Yesterday it was it was on television. Um, I'll I'll then sort of watch the watch the highlights back on uh, ITV or wherever it is on on the on the night, and then before I watch the pod, I, I give it another uh, another look to see if I, I spot anything different with the YouTube highlights. And I've just uh, I've just watched the YouTube highlights before we started recording, and and I noticed that um, Andy Johnson said something on the Albion commentary that really really resonated with me because it's something that we said after the older shot game. He said after after Fellows put the goal in, he he said. He's a man now. He's a man. Uh, like he, uh, he, he's you know he's a fixture in the in this team, and the, the 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 amount Tom Fellows has grown up in the last couple of months is nothing short of unbelievable. It wasn't just the goal, and the goal is phenomenal, by the way. Um, but it was just before that. I mean, he he took responsibility and uh, with uh, okay costly picked the ball up in the middle of the park and did a lovely little bit of jinking footwork to take two Ipswich players out of the game and then played a fantastic ball through to to Tom Fellows now Tom makes the wrong decision he cuts inside and he curls a shot when in actual fact there is definitely a ball across to Brandon Thomas Asante at the back post without a shadow of a doubt for me but most players the next time they go through, they let that affect their decision-making. They look for the pass the next time because they should have made it the first time. And that's not the right thing to do. The right thing to do is to trust your instincts and treat each situation individually and not to let what has gone before influence your next decision. Because if you, the next time you go forward, if you're thinking in your head, I must pass this, what if that's not the right thing to do? Just because you should have passed it last time doesn't mean you should pass it this time. And the bravery of Tom, the next time he gets on the ball to drive directly at Wolfenden, the strength, by the way, to get his body across him is unbelievable. I uh, I went on Talking Town last week, and I'm sure on Talking Town, I haven't listened to it yet, but they they will be criticising Wolfenden's um, defending. And if this was an Ipswich Town podcast, we would absolutely be doing that because he doesn't doesn't do well enough. He doesn't use his body well enough. But from an Albion point of view, 
it's unbelievable from Tom. And then to have the directness to go forward, to check inside and then to finish in the way he did. And do you know what? The position that he's in when he finishes, that is not an easy chance by any stretch of the imagination. That has an XG of 0.15. So we're talking less than one in six chance of the uh, of that going into the into the back of the net at that point in time so and but he turns it he turns it with his uh, with his with his shot into uh, into a 0.53 post shot expected goals so basically it has a better than one in two chance the finish from tom the reverse finish and i think i, I think actually um don goodman said it on the commentary on uh, on sky he said the the big thing with what tom does there is he reverses the ball because if he shoots a cross goal, there's so many bodies there that the chances are somebody heads it off the line. To have the intelligence at Tom's age and Tom's level of experience to be so calm and to just take everybody out of the game and reverse that finish, because that that is pretty much the only place Tom can put that ball and it have an extremely high value chance of going in the back of the net. It's a phenomenal goal, but it wasn't just the goal, was it, Pete? It was everything he did in the game. He got on the ball with bravery, kept taking opportunities. He kept causing Ipswich problems. He kept running. He had absolutely no fear. And then there was one just before half time, And I really noticed this. He it, The ball was played forward, and um, the Ipswich Town defender this time did get his body across Tom. And it was right on the goal line, and he shepherded the ball out, and he's given Tom a little bit of a shove and sh- and Tom has gone off the pitch but the ball stayed in play and Ipswich have gone forward down the left-hand side and uh, and Leif Davis has put the ball across and as the ball comes across it goes right the way across to the Albion right-hand side where uh, Furlong wins the header and who is there as Furlong wins the header to pick up the scraps but Tom Fellows, who'd just been pushed off the field at the other end of the field, he must have absolutely busted a gut to get back down the field and clear that ball. And as good as that goal was, Pete, it's moments like that where I watch Tom and I think, that's what you're all about. You are energy, enthusiasm, endeavour, but with quality rolled in and... It, it, where he's come from this season is un uh, is unbelievable. Like, uh, and I'm so glad he signed that new contract because I think he's a phenomenal talent. I think he's got everything you need. His attitude seems perfect. He loves the club as well, which which never hurts. And uh, and I uh, I'm just I'm just so delighted he's going to be he's going to be in our shirt hopefully for years to come. He's a bit like a I think I've said it before a bit like a young Jed Wallace, isn't he? Just um, full commitment. Um, yeah, but quicker. <laughs> but well, quicker. Yeah. I mean, if it, it, as much, you know. Uh, weirdly, I was talking to to somebody about um, about about Chris Brunt the the other the other day and saying if Brunty had had an extra yard of pace, he the, 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 he he wouldn't have played more than like a season or two for us. He would have he would have ended up at you know teams that win league titles and trophies and i mean maybe maybe it would be going a bit far to say the same about jed but if if jed had a yard more pace he wouldn't be playing in the championship would he he'd be he'd be playing in the premier league and he'd have probably played most of his career in the premier league the fact that tom fellows is like jed wallace but with a bit more pace kind of tells you how high he can go in this game yeah and um when he first kind of broke in this season i know he'd 
played a couple of times a few years back under Ishmael. Um, but when he broke in this season, he looked like his only the only real side to his attacking game was putting in crosses, very good crosses at that, but there wasn't much um, variation. It was, you know, go past your man on the right and, and put a cross in and try and pick out somebody that's, that's running into the box. But the last few games, it's really, really obvious that he's got a lot more to his game than that. Obviously, the goal against Ipswich is a sign of that because, you know, he gets past his man, but he's got the composure to go into the box beat somebody in there and then get the shot off and pick a really smart finish to put the ball in the back of the net. It's having the ability to, to score goals as a winger and um, he's going to be able to create a lot of chances with his ability to pick out players with his crosses. You know, he can do both both sides of it. So he's going to be a real threat. Um, and the fact that he can play on both wings is is really promising because he looks very two-footed and he seems he seems to like to cut in more when he's playing on the left, which kind of makes sense. But Equally, he seems comfortable to to go out, to go around his man on the left and and use his left foot to cross it in. So having that unpredictability of what he's going to do and knowing that he's good at both crossing and finishing, it's going to make it really difficult to defend against. Also, Pete, just on top of that, is he a bit of a solution to a problem for us in the sense that we have at times lacked real attacking threat uh, away from home? Yet you look at the, look at a couple of the away games we've played recently with with Tom higher up the field. Swansea he was a menace against Ipswich he was an absolute menace, and having that directness, the way we like to play on the on the transition, being able to push Tom higher, coming from deeper or wider positions, it gives us a way of getting up the field away from home, especially against teams who are who are prepared to have a go at us. It will scare teams as well. You know, it'll make teams think twice about how how much can we actually press up on Albion? How how high up the field can we go? How offensive can we be? Because Tom Fellows will hurt us in behind. We haven't been great away from home all season, really. But then we haven't really had that threat in behind away from home. And I feel I feel like that's that's massive. Uh, you know, making defences think twice when they when they get further up the field. And I don't think it was like I say. I don't think it was just at Portman Road. I think that, I, I think we saw we had a little bit of a precursor to this at Swansea a few weeks back as well. And I I, I think Tom can be a solution a solution to to at least part of the solution to our away problems if our away form is going to is going to turn. I think Tom Fellows could be end up being a big big part of that. Yeah, and I think it's similar to what Matty Phillips was doing when. He was playing as a left wing back at the start of the season. Um, is that once we got the ball, he was then instantly looking to get high. Can he make a run in behind and, and just force the defence to turn and, and run backwards? And Tom Fellows was doing that against Ipswich. And Corbran seems to like to have that out ball just to release pressure and, and give the opposition, opposition defence something to think about. Not everything's being played in front of them. And having that pace in behind and directness is it just keeps defences thinking, you know, they're, and it makes. It might give other players the space to operate in front of the opposition defence as well, because if those centre backs and full backs are thinking, hang on, we might have to defend a, a ball in behind to with a, a quick player running onto it, they're gonna have to drop a couple of yards probably and then um you get a bit more space in front of them for well, for Brandon if he's the one that's dropping in to, to receive the ball there, or if Swift's on the pitch, whoever, it just it opens a bit more space on the pitch and yeah, like I say, I think Corbin really likes having that that out ball to somebody who's direct and somebody that's quick to run in behind and um, fellow seems to be perfect for that at the minute. 
in the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry? Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 5% off your first purchase with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for 5% off your first purchase. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home, especially with Albion's home record under Carlos Corbran. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Looking at the first half... As a whole, Pete, it's not really surprising given how early we scored that um, that Ipswich had quite a lot of the play in that half because games. I think I think when people look at look at things like xG and 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 field tilt and things like that, the 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 big misleading thing that people fail to take into account with it is game state a lot of the time. And people will say, "Oh well, Ipswich had most of the game against Albion." Yeah, but we we led for quite a lot of the game, so they're going to have more of the game because, well, why why would you continue to go gung-ho when you're away from home against the team fourth in the championship? And I thought we were relatively comfortable in that first half. Yeah, Connor Chaplin misses an absolute uh, absolute sitter. But beyond that, I didn't really think that they were troubling us too too much. There was there was a couple of little gaps in behind our centre-backs and I was getting worried about the clip balls towards Broadhead and, uh, and Chaplin. But Ipswich weren't, other than that Chaplin chance really creating too much that was that clean cut. So my question here is how much of a turning point in the game was Carl Bartley going down injured just before half time and, and then having to come off at half time? I mean, uh, Bartley, they obviously had pinned a lot of their hopes on Kiefer Moore, who was who'd scored two goals after coming on as a substitute against Preston in their previous game. And then they, they threw him his first start in, in this match. He, you know, he's known as a massive, massive aerial threat. He only won thirty-three percent of his headers against us. Bartley won a hundred percent of his uh, of his headers. I thought he was absolutely tremendous. And Carlos Corbran said afterwards, when asked about Bartley coming off, he he went. Look, Bartley was absolutely key to what we wanted to do. So him going off was just a massive change. But it wasn't just a massive change for Bartley, was it? Because the change was obviously to bring Bartley off and bring a midfielder on in Nathaniel Chalaber, which meant, OK, Yukoslu dropping into, into centre-half. And for me, the other thing that we lost was Yukoslu going off, you know, was, was, a, was a problem because he'd been absolutely brilliant on the ball in that first half, he had over the course of the game, he had more successful take ons than any other West Bromwich Albion player. He had uh, he, he took players on six times. Four of them were, uh, were were successful. He also had the most shot creating actions of any Albion player. Bear in mind, this is supposed to be the guy who sits and just shuttles in front of our back four. He had the most shot creating actions and beat players the most times. The problem is when he goes into centre half. He can't do that anymore. Well, he he does still do it a little bit, and it, and it gives me absolute heart palpitations when he does. But he is very, very good at it, to be fair. 
But at the same time, you lose that guy in midfield who, when the ball comes in uh, onto him, the first thing he is, is on, on the half turn, quite often takes a player or two completely out of the game and suddenly opens the game up just like he did for that first Tom Fellows chance. And we lost that second half with him having to go into into centre half. We lost Bartley's aerial ability. I don't think it's a coincidence that we concede the goal in the first moments of the second half with Yukoslu and Kipre going for the same header. And I don't think they both need to go for that header. It's easy to look at that and say it's Furlong's man in behind him that uh, that, that scores the goal and blame uh, and blame Furlong. But I think the reality is if Yukoslu is in his position and doesn't go for the header with Kipre, then Yukoslu pulls out a little bit, which means Furlong doesn't have to tuck in and it means Furlong's covering the space that Broadhead ultimately scores from. And I think that the blame with that goal lies with the fact that uh, Yukoslu and Kipre go for the same header and neither of them win it, which if two if two of you go for the same ball, one of you has got to come away with it. You, the, 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 you can't take both of our centre-halves out of the game with one flick on. That's not, you know, that's really, really bad. And, and I, ju- I just think it was all a result of Bartley going off the field. I thought we really lost something out of the midfield in terms of our attacking threat that Yukoslu had been at the heart of during the whole of that first half. And I thought we we lost the guy who never, ever loses a header, it seems. And we, uh, and we were a bit disorientated in the first 60 seconds of the second half and it cost us a goal. Losing Bartley was a huge loss for yeah, the reasons you just mentioned. Having to take Yukoslu out of midfield... It was a huge blow because, to be fair, he's a lot better defensively in midfield than Chalaber is, um, and he's he's probably more mobile to to cover the space that we needed him to because Ipswich are happy to just kind of shift the ball from side to side. Um, the two midfielders have to cover a lot of ground, um, so we lost that, and we lost the com- Chalaber does have composure in midfield, but I think Yakushlu is probably just a little bit better under pressure as we saw in the first half, he, receiving the ball under pressure and turning players, and then. Um, spraying passes once the space had opened up and he played out of pressure um, which probably it's, it's not a criticism of Chalabam mate but I I have to I just don't think he's he's not in any way similar to Yukoslu I just I just don't think I just don't think it's a swap you know and I, I, it's not criticizing Chalabar I think he's very very good at certain things and actually when you get Chalabar into the final third which you rarely do with Yukoslu I think he's a real threat but I, I just don't think Chalaber instead of Yukoslu works, do you? No, yeah, that's that's what I was going to say, is that in a game when we're going to have a lot of pressure on us and going to, well, not going to have too much of the ball and not many chances to go forward, I think Yukoslu is so much better in that central midfield role than Chalaber is. In a game when maybe we're leading, we're enjoying a lot of the ball, or just in a game where we're dominating the ball, we'd have to be leading. And you can push one of those central midfielders into the, the attacking third, then I think Chalaber's better there because he's going to create more... He's going to see more things um, and probably be more secure with possession there. But when we've got a lot of pressure on us, I'd much rather have Yakuzhlu in there. And obviously we lost that. And we also lost Bartley, who, as you say, brilliant in the air and was dealing with Kiefer more well alongside um, Kipre. It's so not it the a problem big... with that change, Pete, that, that by one player going off, you create two problems and... It, look, without without, I know Ajayi's back in a. It, he won't be back for almost certainly won't be back for Cardiff because it's just too tight to turn around with the Afcon final. But we'll probably be back for Southampton if we if we need him. But is that the problem with letting Caleb Taylor go? That 
if Caleb Taylor was still in the squad, you could potentially have brought Carl Bartley off, brought Caleb Taylor on, and then you don't have to mess about with the midfield. Yeah, it's exactly that, really. Um, it would have been nice to bring on another centre-back and leave your Kuzlu in midfield. But obviously, at the minute, we're short of them because we loaned Caleb Taylor out and Ajay is away on international duty. But also, the lack of options in central midfield is another thing you can look at because Chalaba was the only player we could really bring on for to play in central midfield there. And he's not a like-for-like replacement for Yakuzlu. If we got another central midfielder on the bench that maybe had different attributes than Chalaba, then he could have come on instead and we would have been a bit more balanced um yeah well, hopefully on, on that pete what, what are your thoughts on yanum vila because obviously i know you've done the research on it for anybody who wants to have a, a i mean pete will give you a very uh, a very quick overview of them now but if you want to read the really really in-depth stuff it's it's on our on our sub stack just for uh, you know to address a little bit the elephant in the room on, on that a little bit um there is uh there is now a, a charge for the subscription for the uh, for, for some of the the content Look, the the fact is, um, it's we've made it as cheap as we possibly can. It's it's less than the price of a coffee for uh, for a month's worth of of content, and we hope that the content it, we we like to think it's really really good and and uh, and well worth the money. The reality is, Pete and I do this, the podcast, the written content, on our own time, and you know we just we just cannot be able to give up hours and hours and hours of our our own time which is what it takes by the way um for for, for nothing so if you're able to subscribe um on the substack look obviously the podcast will always remain free that will that will never ever change and um uh, but but we we wanted to provide more in-depth written content if you can chuck us a subscription on that it just helps us carry on doing what we're doing because we want to give more and more content to the to the Albion community so if if you can spare a few quid a month and it it is only a few quid um to help us continue what doing what we're doing and we will give plenty back to you with what we think is really really good content and please please do but one of those uh, one of those articles uh, at the moment is an article on the midfielders that we could potentially be signing on free transfers in the in the coming weeks. And the one heavily linked is Yanam Villa. Um, he might have to... I mean, first of all, we're going to have to pronounce it Villa, not Villa. Otherwise, he's going to have to change that uh, his last name. But besides him having uh, ha- having a not particularly good last name for an Albion player, Pete, what, what are your thoughts on him? Yeah, I quite like the look of him. And he was probably one of, if not my favourite of the... Um of the transfer targets that I identified. You know, he's he's got a lot of experience and good experience. I think he's played in three of the top five European leagues. Um, he's won trophies in his career. Maybe not particularly difficult when playing at Olympiacos. Um, but um, he's also played with Carlos Corbran there. And whilst Corbran was there, he started nine of the 13 games that Corbran was in charge. So Corbran obviously likes him. Um, and he's, he's somebody that's really strong in his duels, Defensive, offensive, and aerial. He's got really high success rates, and that's something that's important for this Albion side because I think we, we top the charts for for most success rates in duels um, in the league. So, yeah, I think he's somebody that will fit in and will be strong. When I was writing the article, the only concern I said I had was um, whether he'd have the the willing willingness and commitment to come into a side at the age of thirty three when oh, it might be thirty two. 33, I think, um, coming in at that age after playing for three seasons in Greece and the side that generally walks the league. But, you know, Corran's worked with him. He'll know his personality. 
and I've spoken to him. So if he is coming in, then I'm sure that's not going to be too much of a concern because judge, judging on the dressing room that Albino got at the minute and the players that Corbran has brought in, he seems to be a very good judge of character. So yeah, I think on a short deal, it could be a really, really good player to bring in. And yeah, it gives us a chance, similar to Weiman, it gives, it gives us a chance to assess him for four or five months. And then, you know, if we want to do a deal at the end of the season and bring him in for a bit longer, then we've got a bit more to go on. Also an absolute championship manager legend from from a few from years ago I think it was championship manager before it became football manager but he was uh, on one of the games he was an absolute beast you picked him up at about sort of 2021 and he was here for anybody who plays the game regularly they will they will they will know that uh, Jan and Veer is uh, is is something of a champ man legend but you mentioned Andy Vyman there Pete let's uh, let's talk about one of the weirdest incidents uh, incidents from uh, from the game what? Why did he handle that ball? I mean, we've obviously Ipswich have gone one-one. Albion make a few changes to get uh, to get back in the game. Long throw comes into the box. It's it, it's it's flicked on, and Andy Vyman for all the world, uh, for for everything just looks like he's just got to nod it home. And to be honest, on first glance and. As much as I wish he wasn't eagle-eyed, credit to the linesman who, because I don't think the ref spotted it. I think it was the lino who spotted it. It, uh, it, it, fair play to him for seeing it because because I didn't see it first time. I thought he didn't nodded it home. Yet he puts his hand up and and heads it in. It doesn't seem particularly far away from his head. It looks like he's more than capable of getting his head to the ball, not his hand. Okay. If he uses his head, there's a fair chance that he does uh, platter with the post. But Andy Vyman doesn't see me as some sort of shrinking violet. I think he he comes across as the kind of guy who would happily take a bit of pain to score a to score a goal. So I'm I'm surprised if 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 he's bottled it, if that's what it is, a little bit. I I've watched it multiple times, Pete, and I am no closer to an explanation as to what Vyman is thinking or why he does what he does than I was as soon as I realized it was a handball. I've got, I've got no idea. <laughs> and I'm afraid I don't either. I'm the same as you. I've watched it numerous times and I really can't understand it because it, it looks like just any contact on his head and it's going to go in. He's that close to the goal. The ball's at a nice height. He just has to put his head into it and it's a certain goal. So I really have no explanation as to why he'd go with his hand because it was just such a simple header. It would have, yeah, it was a certain goal if he put his head on it. So I'd love, I'd love to hear an explanation for it. I know we won't ever get one, um, but yeah, I'm, I was baffled. Part of that opportunity came from a really, really good flick on by Daryl DK, who just, who just come onto the pitch. Um, and I mean, let's let's talk about DK because obviously this is this is the big negative in the game. First thing to say is. He made a huge impact when he came onto the game. Into the game, he had three aerial duels. He won every single one of them. He was on the pitch for ten minutes, and he had the highest expected assists of any Albion player. He had the highest expected threat of any Albion player. He, he actually had a massive impact on the game, and to see what happened to him is nothing short of absolutely heartbreaking. And look, what I'm about to say isn't going to apply to the vast majority of people who listen to this podcast. I really hope it applies to nobody who listens to this podcast. I, I, I hope that the, the you know, that, that our audience are 
the kind of uh, you know thoughtful, well-minded, um, you know, very very sort of compassionate people that you know that I like to envisage as our audience, and I'm sure I'm I'm sure they are. I'm sure they are. I'm sure everybody who listens to this is is a good person, but any uh, but there are there are some people who frankly over this um uh, uh, their their conduct towards this dk thing have appalled me in the things that they have said on social media and first of all daryl dk is all over social media the idea that footballers don't say the things you say see the things you say about them just because you don't tag them in in posts is ludicrous and you're you're completely kidding yourself and you're trying to let yourself off the hook if you honestly think that the amount of people that i have seen in different fan groups on social media on uh, on x saying things like rip his contact uh, his contract up um uh, he's he's made a glass blah 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 all this sort of thing also the amount of people who turn into sports scientists and start telling uh, telling everybody that it's because of his muscle mass it's because he's he's big he's bulky it's this he's that i mean like if if we're working on that basis how many injuries did adebayo akinfenwa have if it's if it purely this is based on on muscle mass on body mass, there have been bigger and bulkier players than Daryl DK, and not and they have not had the injuries that he's had. So please, please, put down your fake sports science degree. Stop stop telling uh, telling the rest of us that you that you know why he's getting these injuries and that our sports science department should have done this that and the other with him. If the solution was simple and easy and straightforward. Believe you me, they. Uh, I, I know. Uh, I mean, I've, I've worked at that football club, and I I left in two thousand and fourteen, so ten years ago. So I uh, I know the equipment the club had in two thousand and fourteen, and back then it was unbelievable. So I imagine it's even better now. In fact, I'm certain it'll be even better now. So uh, you know, don't sit in your armchair with your fake sports science degree telling uh, telling the rest of us that they should have done this, that, and the other. If there was an obvious, simple solution to Daryl DK's fitness, it would have been done. It would have been utilised by uh, by now. So let's put that to bed. But also, I'm sorry if you if you're the if you're the sort of person whose immediate concern is rip his contract or he's not worth the money, blah blah blah, etc. etc. This is a, just remind yourself of this fact. First of all, remind yourself of the image of Daryl DK, a big, strong, powerful man in floods of tears, completely inconsolable on that cart going off the pitch. Then remind yourself that this is a 23 year old man who only wants to do one thing with his life, and that's play football. And he wants and he knows he knows that when he's out there, he has the ability to play that game at the highest possible level. And that's what he wants to do. And he's having those hopes and dreams shattered through no fault of his own. He has worked his backside off to get back from every single one of these injuries. He has done everything right. He has done everything right. Believe me, I speak to enough people around the club to know that that is a fact. Daryl DK is a pro. He is doing things properly. He's doing things correctly to try and get back from these injuries. He's working his socks off and he's getting robbed of his living through no fault of his own. His body's just letting him down for whatever reason. And the only people who know the, the, those reasons are the medical staff, the sports science staff who deal with with him and possibly Daryl DK himself. And they're not going to come on and tell us, not least because it would be 
utterly Im- immoral and, and against every single oath that a medical person takes when treating a patient. But they're not going to come on and start telling us what these are, nor should they, by the way. It's none of our business. But just take a moment, anybody. And if you see anybody saying these uh, these sorts of things, like, you know, just it's worth reminding people that, you know, just show some human decency, some compassion that this is a guy. This is a young guy, a guy in his early 20s being robbed of his chance to do the one thing he loves with his life and that as bad as you might feel about that from uh, from a West Bromwich Albion point of view because he was an expensive signing and you know he's probably a half decent wage on a on our wage bill look you will move on from this there will be a a, a different player will pull on the shirt and somebody different will score goals for West Bromwich Albion you will be able to move on from this Daryl DK can't Daryl Deke, this hurts Daryl DK a thousand times more than it hurts any West Bromwich Albion fan. And I can say that for a fact. Even the most big-hearted, caring Albion fan who maybe even shared in Daryl DK's tears on Saturday afternoon, it still hurts Daryl DK a thousand times more, even than that person. So don't don't tell me that this is Alb- this that he's letting Albion down or anything anything like that. He is doing what he can. And as I say, we as a club will be able to move on because the difference is we can sign another player to play that position. We can put another player in that shirt. Daryl DK is sitting there this morning and thinking, what on earth do I do next with my life? Can I still do the thing that I love? Can I come back from this fourth consecutive major injury? Do I still have a living, a future? What, what on earth do I do next? Albion aren't sitting there thinking that. They're thinking we're going to have to pick pick, pick Brandon Thomas-Asante, which is fine. He's played most of the season. We've got Callum Marshall as well. Albion have options as a club, and I'm not, not criticising them at all. I think, as I say, the, the, the stuff that's been said, they've massively rallied around Daryl DK. But the point I'm making is football moves on. So don't tell me that we're, we're the big losers in this because we will move on from this. Daryl DK can't. Daryl, this is Daryl DK's life. So just before anybody criticizes Daryl DK or says anything negative about him, just remind yourself of who the one who really suffers in this situation is. Because I'm telling you right now, it ain't the Albion fans, it ain't West Bromwich Albion Football Club, it's Daryl DK. And let's just remind ourselves of that and have a bit of human compassion and love for the man who probably is in an extremely dark place this morning. Yeah, exactly that, Chris. Um, it was heartbreaking to see him go off like that. Yeah, it's, as you say, it's going to be a thousand times worse for him than it is any Albion fan. Um, so, yeah, just wish him all the best and hope he can keep working towards his recovery because, yeah, I still think his, his time's going to come in an Albion shirt. And once he gets fit and he's staying fit, then, yeah, I really look forward to seeing him play again. Absolutely. Now, obviously, uh, we we replaced him with uh, with with John Swift, and John Swift scored uh, scored a very very good goal. Pete, I it, it, I was I, I have got to be honest, I hadn't clocked this fact, but um, that's John Swift's first goal since the game against Blues, when obviously he then went off injured and uh, and missed a few games. At which point he was comfortably. Albion's top scorer. Uh, I, I think. I mean, he was definitely Albion's top scorer, but I think he was top scorer by a couple of goals as well. 
it's got to be really big for Albion. I mean, it was a good strike again. I'm sure. I'm sure there's an Ipswich Town podcast uh, saying that uh, Hladeki should do uh, should do better. Um, and you know they've they've probably they've probably got a point. But as a, as I said to an Ipswich Town supporting friend of mine this morning when we when we WhatsApped because he he said uh, typical Town letting in soft goals. I said, but I, I, I look I can go through the two goals you scored and find things wrong with them from an Albion point of view. The fact is in the Championship that probably most goals have a mistake in them in them somewhere. That's why they happen in the Championship. Um, from our point of view. It's a very, very good strike. I have to say as well, big shout out to Alex Mower for the challenge that that he wins to win the ball back for, for Albion and set us on the way to scoring that goal. Absolutely brilliant, typical tigerish Alex Mower display and uh, and and a little moment in a game influencing the game in a big way. And uh, I will be I will be gobsmacked come the end of the season if anybody other than Alex Mower wins Player of the Season. By the way, he is by such a long way my player of the season at this at this point in time and I can't I can't see any reason for that to change but swift it's a wonderful strike into the into the bottom corner and we we do we do need him to get back on that goals train a little bit don't we don't we Pete because we've we've had a couple where he's had you know the 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 little swift wallace thing the cutbacks from wallace and it, where where in where earlier in the season those were going in they've 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 either gone uh, uh, gone over the bar or gone wide or or been saved or or whatever we if if we can get the john swift back that scores goals that we had earlier in the season especially as you know brandon's now picked that up a little bit we've we've obviously got callum marshall who hopefully will will get a few between now and the end of the season you've got tom fellows scoring a few goals as well that could be so huge for us couldn't it yeah swift's um he's gonna, he scores goals and tends to score quite good goals as well. And the one against Ipswich came at a, a really important time because that pressure from Ipswich was was just going to keep coming and um, we needed something to halt halt that pressure and give us a bit more breathing space. And a goal is exactly what it was. And we didn't really have any chances, any great chances, apart from the, the one we've already spoken about, the Vyman header slash handball. So to put one in from that range is, is really impressive, isn't it? Well, technically, just... we we I mean, if you count the Vyman one, we scored with our three shots on target. It's just you know, obviously one of them we punched the ball in the back of the net. Yeah, so we were, we were clinical. Um, but yeah, Swift came came and scored at the perfect time for Albion, really, um, because I think whatever happened, we were going to struggle to hold out and not concede for the the whole of that half, basically. So without that goal, we'd probably walk away with without any points. Um, so yeah, brilliant from Swift, great goal, picked out the bottom corner perfectly. And with it bouncing just in front of the key, yeah, I don't think many other shots would have gone in from that range. Um, but if he can put in a few more, a few more goals in from now to the end of the season, then it's really going to help our, our push for the playoffs. Because obviously we've got Brandon who scored a, a decent amount of goals this season. Um, hopefully Callum Marshall can can replicate the form that he was showing in the Premier League too. And obviously Andy Vyman's quite a good goal scorer from attacking midfield or as a second striker or whatever you want to call it. So we've got got a few more options than we did um, before the January transfer window. But yeah, Swift had gone through a little patch where he hadn't scored too many goals um, after his injury. To be fair, he hadn't played too much since then. But hopefully he can, he can put in a few more like he does from range, but also get the ones where he's getting into the box and getting a few better chances where he's a bit more likely to score than the ones he seems to, to score easier when he's, he seems to score 
put his chances away better when he's shooting from 30 yards out. But yeah, if you can get a few from inside the boxes, well, that'd be nice. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, it didn't turn out to be the winner, unfortunately, Pete. We, we we're obviously pegged back in in injury time, <laughs> and the 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 irony is not lost on me of uh, Amari Hutchinson, a player that, uh, but for a little bit of paperwork, we we would have um, we would have signed on loan last summer. Not necessarily saying he still would be an Albion. Uh, sorry, last last January. Um, not necessarily saying he'd still be an Albion player because obviously he would have gone back to Chelsea that uh, that summer. But does does feel uh, whilst everybody was worrying about Jeremy Sarmiento does feel a little bit of uh, a little bit of irony in there i have to say though it feels a quite uh, unfortunate goal um to be honest with you i mean you've only got to look at the numbers to see that the shot itself has a 0.03 xg it then has a, a 0.06 post shot expected goals as well so it it shows you the fact that it has a very low chance of going in now in a normal situation you would you would be heavily critical of the goalkeeper um for 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 not keeping that out but i don't think that's the case here i think the, uh, the where where the where the xg is low is because the xg considers it that it that it should be cleared by kipre on the line but for me the reason that it isn't is and when you watch this a few times you just see this there's just a little touch off Alex Palmer, uh, he gets a glove to it that just changes the, the the deviation of the of the ball, which causes Kipre's swing and uh, swing and a miss, and causes it to to go in. I mean, credit to Ipswich, they kept the ball alive, uh, bobbling around in the penalty area. Credit to Amari Hutchinson because most players probably swing their foot at that first time. He doesn't. He takes a touch. He steadies himself, and then he hits the hits a shot through a crowd of bodies. And when you do that, it always has has half a chance of going in. But from an Albion point of view, Pete, it feels really, really unfortunate that just that the slightest deviation on the ball from Alex Palmer, who has to go for it. It's not a criticism of Alex Palmer. He, he he has to go for it and try and try and stop the ball. But it's just that slight deviation that stops uh, Cedric Kipre from doing a very simple thunderous clearance on the line and hooking it up the field. Yeah, it was just a bit unlucky really, wasn't it? Um, I think in fairness to Palmer, it was quite a difficult difficult shot because it wasn't one where he could kind of dive and, and reach right into the, the bottom corner. It was like just out of reach for his, his foot to go out and save it. So he had to go down and it wasn't far enough that he could get down quickly. He kind of just had to sweep his feet underneath him and just try and get a hand to it. Um, let gravity pull him down to get that hand to it. But yeah, that tiny touch is what caused Kipro to miss it really. And, you know, had, had Palmer not saved it, we probably wouldn't have conceded, which is which is just really unlucky. I think we were a bit chaotic in defending in our own box. I think we'd got too many players just throwing their bodies at the stuff too easily. Um, obviously, you want players to be fully committed and, and go to block shots, but I think we were going to ground a bit too easily, and there was a couple of times when Ipswich players would just fake a shot and we'd see a couple of Albion bodies hit the floor and take themselves out of the game. And Alex Moat was I... screaming at people to calm down, wasn't he? Yeah, and I think, it, again, it's... It's also related to Bartley going off. If we've got a, a really experienced pros, yeah, well, a really experienced centre-back as well, there's probably just a bit more composure in the box. 
Well, and, and you cost Lou in central midfield as well, Pete, because how often does he dive into challenges? And, and whilst, uh, and whilst you know, like I say, I'm not criticising Chalaber overall. I think one of the things that that I would say about Nathaniel Chalaber is that he he does he does commit himself a little bit. And again, it's losing both of those things: the calmness of Bartley at the back, who, if you if you watch him closely, he talks other players through the game for for, for ninety minutes, but then. You Koslu, who who never, who almost never dives into anything, and you lose him out of central midfield as well. Yeah, and yeah, like I said, I think we just like lack that composure at the end, and whether it was the fact that we're playing away and the players know that we don't have a very good aware record, whether it's just that Ipswich had been coming at us for what I think Albion were leading for fifty minutes in the game, so we're facing a lot of pressure from Ipswich for at least fifty minutes of the game, um, and it's mentally tiring. Um, and also just not having the home support, um, having the Ipswich crowd just kind of pushing Ipswich players on a bit more and putting the pressure on Albion. We just, yeah, I don't think we had the, the composure in our own box enough towards the end of the game um, to really see it through for three points. I think the commitment, you can't fault the commitment because everyone was was throwing themselves at, to block the ball. Um, it's just seen a composure alongside commitment. In the past, we've, we've lacked commitment, so... Yeah, definitely not fought on the players too much. But I think if we'd got calmer heads on and we'd got Bartley still in there, then maybe we would have seen the game out and taken three points away from Portman Road. I mean, and within that, Pete, a couple of really big saves from uh, from Alex Palmer as well. One uh, one just before the uh, before the goal um, from from Hutchinson himself, but um, and then I mean a massive save uh, towards uh, towards the end um, from uh, from Al Hamadi. Uh, like I, I I mean I have to uh, I mean that was a great save. Um, I have to say. And I mean, I almost felt like at that point in the in the game. I mean, we played so much injury time. I realised that that um, that there was um, that there was obviously a goal within the injury time. So I kind of expected an extra thirty seconds. But I think he he added eight on and um, and. Uh, and played nine and a half. The referee had a weird game as well for, uh, for me. I mean, it didn't. It, it seemed like he was trying to play to Ipswich score. And I've had a couple of neutral mates say exactly that to me. Uh, mates who were not Albion fans or Ipswich fans, saying who who sat and watched the game, saying it felt like the referee was just playing to Ipswich scored. And I, I mean, he did some odd things during the game. He's obviously it, it was um, it, it was David Coote, wasn't it? Who who's had a, a checkered past in the in the in the Premier League at the at the best of times and. Uh, I mean, I, I thought the way he handled the the DK injury was very, very strange. I mean, he tr- DK's clearly done a serious injury, and he's he's made him be carried off. He hasn't brought the the stretch around, and then they needed to bring the stretch uh, the the golf buggy thing round to get DK off the off the pitch, and he's tr- trying to get this throw in taken, and Chalaber's trying to point out that. You can't take the throw in that we're bringing a golf buggy onto the pitch, and in the end, he books Chalaber for his protestations. When all Chalaber seemed to me to be doing was pointing out the fact that there was a there was a blooming four wheeled vehicle on the pitch, and that you can't restart a game when there's a vehicle on the pitch. He had an he had an odd game, like I say, there was there was the extensive amount of injury time that I didn't really understand, but I thought that yellow card for Chalaba. You know, just purely pointing out that it probably wasn't appropriate to restart the game whilst that there was a buggy on the pitch um, was was also a bit more than a bit harsh. Yeah, I think that 
that one would have topped Darren Bent's goal off a, a beach ball, a goal off a golf buggy. So, yeah, it was a bit strange that he he asked DK to get up and hobble off the pitch when he's just injured his Achilles um, to then sit on the side of the pitch about five yards from where he was and wait for the for the golf buggy stretcher thing to come on and take him off. So, yeah, that was a bit strange. And, yeah, the added time, that was, that was worrying me because I think the ball went out for an Ipswich corner exactly on 98 minutes. So the referee could have blown then, but... I suppose he probably was adding on time for the the goal that had already been scored in in injury time. But yeah, it it, it did feel at the time, from an Albion perspective at least, that we were waiting till till Ipswich had taken the three points for the referee to blow up. But luckily, we held on to the end and and we walked away with a, a valuable point. Just from just to finish off, Pete, from an overview perspective, uh, we've we've seen some poor performances from Albion away from home. We've seen some mixed ones as well. Take. Swansea, for example, where I thought we were we were good first half, but very very poor second half. And uh, I mean, I thought Norwich we were poor first half and much much better second half. Would would it be fair to say that if we replicate the ninety minutes that we turned out against Ipswich against other sides, and I think the the only side we've still got to go away to who you would comfortably say is better than Ipswich is Leicester City. I think so. Other than that, other than Leicester away, all of our remaining away games should be against sides who are not as good as Ipswich Town. If we play like that against those sides, that you'd be fairly comfortable that we will get points. I mean, we've obviously taken a point from from Portman Road as as well, which is which is very very positive. But do you do you think that if we play the way we did against Ipswich, that we will start? not just taking a point, but winning games against teams that uh, have less quality than Ipswich Town. Was that was was that a bit of a blueprint for the performance away from home, uh, what we saw at, uh, at Portman Road? Yeah, I think it was a really promising performance. Um, obviously, we started really brightly and looked good attacking. Um, but then for the rest of the game, we looked pretty solid defensively. There was a couple of things that I thought we could probably improve on. And I mean, particularly Ipswich playing balls in between the centre backs and the full backs in that in that half space, I thought we were quite open and probably didn't defend that particularly well. But other than that, we were very solid defensively, um, and we weathered the storm. And you know, we had one of the best attacking sides in the division coming at us for the vast majority of the game, and we did well to to hold out away from home as well. So, in future performances, if we can show the the resoluteness of the defence from the Ipswich game and the, the quality and directness and attack that we showed in the first 15 minutes of that game, then yeah, it's, it, it puts a positive um, view on future away games because, you know, as everybody knows, we've struggled away from home and this division in this season. So it was promising to have such a good performance against such a strong side. Um, and hopefully we can continue that against whoever we play away from home. And if we can, then hopefully we can pick up a few more points than we have been in the past in our, um, fixtures on the road. Well, that is all for this week, but we, we, bonus time, bonus time for you. You get a bit extra Pete and Chris this uh, this week because Albion have a midweek game against against Cardiff. And whilst we don't always do midweek pods, I think Pete and I both feel that we're getting towards the sharp end of the season and that it, it's it, it's probably important to be uh, the, to be giving you as as much. Uh, 
I'm not going to go as far as to say immediate reaction. It'll probably be on the it'll probably be on the Wednesday that we manage to get the pod out. But uh, yeah, it will be it will be a double pod week. Albion playing on Tuesday against Cardiff and then on the Friday against uh, Southampton. So a couple of couple of home fixtures for for Albion, and let's hope that the home form can continue as it has done in previous weeks. But until then, thanks for listening and up the baggies. Albion have certainly been sharing the goals around this season. They're well into double figures now for different championship goal scorers. So why not take a leaf out of their book and do some sharing of your own with a McNugget share box? Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.